Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Maria Remarkable Garcia is a Detroit native currently living in Brooklyn, New York. Remarkable is a Renaissance woman who redefines the word remix. This DJ, vocalist, and producer has rocked crowds on international dance floors for two decades. Her unique sound becomes ceremony with a witch's brew of house and techno and a soul, funk, and disco cauldron. She has penned and performed commercial jingles. Her original work was also featured in several off-Broadway productions, in award-winning short films, and has been found on fashion runways. Remarkable is the creator of the Alchemy of DJing Learning Workshops, which focus on creatively engaging in social justice and empowering women and youth. The current pandemic has Remarkable looking at ways to keep bringing the dance floor magic, often to a virtual audience. Through her creative production company, Remarkable Things, she continues to explore new ways to express the music in her spirit, as well as new ways to express not just her creativity, but empower others along the way. Remarkable? Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? Um, I'm great. Um, as great as one can be navigating through this um, <laughs> new world, you know. Uh-huh. I know. It's sort of challenging us all to define, like, redefine, like, what's a good day? You know, to really look at it and sort of say, okay, well, this is a good day. <laughs> Um, exactly. You know, I mean, any day we're alive is good, I think. But um, hey, some days are more challenging than others. Mm-hmm. Hey, but we're here to deal with it, right? You know. So exactly. you're, origi- you're originally from Detroit. What part of the city did you grow up in? Well, I grew up actually um, in Detroit and in Lansing, mm-hmm. as well as Ann Arbor. And mm-hmm. I did spend um, a large part of my childhood in Chicago as well. Um, mm-hmm. Of all the places that I've lived, I consider Detroit home. Um, mm-hmm. It's where I always return to um, uh, a large part of my family and chosen family is there. Um, it's the place that shaped me the most of all the places that I've lived. 
Um, it's the foundation of everything. Um, and the, the places that I lived were the west side um, of Detroit and the southwest side. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, often everyone from Detroit, I mean, you know, we're often influenced by all kinds of music. But what music were you influenced by coming up and did you see yourself going into a more traditional form of music as opposed to a more modern form of music like DJing and the like? Um, well, my relationship with uh, music is um, kind of hard to pinpoint. Uh, I grew up, uh, my mother is a classically trained pianist, and some of the first music that I heard was classical and opera. Um, it was more of the prominent music that was in my home, to be honest, as mm-hmm. well as um, me growing up in the black church. Um, my mother's raised me in a staunch Christian household, and so the foundation of gospel music is in everything that I do. Um, and that rhythmic spiritual beat that comes from the mm-hmm. black church actually is the thing that led me to become a DJ um, and play house and techno music, which is vastly popular in in Detroit um, and the Midwest in general. Actually, that's that's the fun, that's the home of it, um, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of it has to do with um, black folks um, being descendants of of the South. And that spirit and that movement and that sound um, and that drum, you know, it all leads back to Mm -hmm. Africa, of course. Um, But, you know, black gospel came from the black folks that were in the States. And where were they first? They were in the South. And so I think a lot of that has to do with it. Um, But I did also get heavily influenced by, um, you know, I was born in the 70s. I grew up with, you know, my, my siblings are much older than me, so I grew up with the music they grew up with. Um, they heavily influenced me with disco and and uh, hip-hop. I saw the foundation, the beginning of hip-hop in my life, so definitely um, had an effect on me. Um, I also grew up during the, the, the launch of MTV, so mm-hmm. that new wave sound and rock and roll, um, was was largely popular for me or, or heavily influenced for me as well as the time I spent alone as a child. Um, the TV and the radio were my heroes. So whatever was on TV from Lawrence Welk to to the stuff on the radio to the oldies um, station listening to the Beatles and the Monkeys and, you know, everything just kind of... Mm-hmm influenced me and I, and I absorbed it all and I grew up singing in church and um, in school I played the clarinet, the bass clarinet um, and it eventually led me to playing the drums. Uh, I'm also a drummer. Mm-hmm. So um, I never picked up the piano even though my mother played daily. Um, I wish I had made myself learn because it would have helped me much more today as a producer, but 
the piano is a percussive instrument, so I, I got it, you know, mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. a drummer. So I know that's kind of a mouthful. I hope that answered your question. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's so, I mean, you can go back, like, you know, because I like to watch documentaries and do- a lot of documentaries about music. And that, like what you were saying, like about not only about the roots in the church, but that drum has shown up like in all kinds of music. And so many people who you see, who you who are talked to, who are musicians now say, well, you know, that they started out hearing about it in the church. I was also intrigued when you said how your mother played piano. And because I've also found like many of us, have had a piano in the house. I mean, I think, too, I mean, mm-hmm. I remember we had a piano in the house, and sometimes now I go back and I'm like, damn, I wish I had, you know, we had kept a piano, I had stuck to those lessons and done it, you know, and the fact that you mm-hmm. recognize it's a percussion instrument, you know, so you can see the percussion, the drums, that beat, again, coming through. Well, mm-hmm. when you, well, you, you know, what made you, shift from what you were watching and I know that it was starting to to come about you know because you know everybody went home to watch MTV and you'd want to you were looking for the shows that had our community you know because at first it was just like you know stuff you didn't really I mean it was okay like you said to be those and all that but then you start to see like a lot of the rap artists and everything like that what made mm-hmm. who influenced you most during that that format those formative years when you were in your teens that made you said you know what this is something I want to do. You know what? I um, I I got into this naturally, like uh, by like serendipitously. I didn't set out mm-hmm. and like I don't have a story where I'm like, yeah, I collected mm-hmm. records <laughs> when I was a kid, and I have mm-hmm. this crazy collection and blah blah blah. Like I collected music, and I just immersed myself in music because I loved it, mm-hmm. and. Um, I spent a lot of time by myself as a child, so I had a lot of fantasies about being a performer, you know. So that element actually came naturally um, because DJs are performers, you know, whether or not they're like wave your hands in the air and all that other jazz, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. it, It wasn't a thing to me, and so I actually did something a lot of DJs did when they got their start. And I didn't even know what I was doing. I recorded music off the radio, and I made my own mixtapes. And and there's a method that um, I now know today is called making pause tapes. Basically, you pause the the tape, stop the tape recording while the DJ is talking, or, and you you started... um, when you want it, you know, for it to be a mix, you know, or you started just when you want the next song to come in, you know. Mm-hmm. And I had a million of those tapes, and I was doing that, and I, and I always had tapes. And so when I would go to my parties, you know, teenage high school parties or mi- even middle school parties, I always had a box of tapes. And by the time I got to high school, you know, people were known getting in my car was about, you know, we go to lunch during lunch during lunch period, and people knew that I had the good music, and so I I just always collected music, and I was a huge, uh, you know, hope they don't come after me now, but I was a huge thief in the um, I don't know if you remember the BMI 
CD collection. You could, like, get 10 CDs for a penny. And mm-hmm. then uh, it was this little postcard that would come in the mail. You see in the back of a magazine, you'd see it in between magazines, and it would be a postcard, and it would be, like, 10 CDs for a penny. And you would tape a penny on there, and then you would mail it in, and they would send you 10 CDs, and then you're supposed to, like, basically join their club, and you would get um, – a bunch of CDs in the mail, and periodically, like once a month, you would get a new CD according to your choices. And actually, while I'm saying it, it's kind of the beginning of like uh, these, like uh, like uh, Spotify and all these other things, like the way they're programming you to to use their services. Nevertheless, everybody <laughs> did this back in the day. We were just uh, make up names and, you know, just to get all these free CDs, essentially. Um, but, of course, I bought my own as well, but I had a million CDs and I had a million tapes and um, records weren't that popular. Um, but I did start collecting records. And by the time I got to college, um, the first semester I decided I didn't want to go home I got an apartment with my friend, um, and I needed a job. So I was looking in the back of the school paper, and um, there was this ad for this company that said, now hiring DJs, we'll train, no equipment needed, um, live out your dreams of being a DJ. I was like, oh, let me try this out. And I went to this company that was in Canton, and um, Canton, Michigan, that is. It's called Silver mm-hmm. Sounds Professional DJ. And it was a woman-owned DJ company. And they specialize in doing private events. So, like, corporate events, weddings, summits for high school proms, you know, all the things that people consider cheesy. Um, when they see DJ, this company specializes in it. And... They loved me, and they hired me, and they taught me how to DJ. And I actually got my feet wet um, doing work for them. And I'm grateful to this day that I did that, did the stuff that was so-called cheesy because I learned how to play for any crowd it was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I can remember, I have friends in Chicago, and I can remember, you know, they would have their mixtapes, and when you go and, and, you know, maybe you go to a party, you'd be in the car, and it's like, I, and they say, listen to this, and, you know, and they'd be that special mixtape that sort of fit the mood and had that, and they would have, like, I, I think somewhere around here, I probably still have some from someone. I, I sent one to somebody. Oh, yeah. I said, you remember when you did that? You know, and you have all these mixtapes and stuff. When you went to this, what you know, I mean. Uh huh. You know, when you went to that, did you? You know, you saw this ad. You know, and and there was a time when people would think of DJs that say, "Oh, it's somebody at weddings or parties or whatever." Mm-hmm. And you have, I mean, clearly you have evolved far beyond that. You're doing all that, and you're you're making it. It's not just like where someone walks up and says, "Hey, play a polka for me." <laughs> you know? Did you right. ever, when you start went to there and you answered to that that ad? Did you envision it growing to being like this, or was it just like, you know, let me see where this goes. I like music. 
I can play music. I, I, I'll get paid. I just thought it was I just thought it was something cool and I knew I could make a lot of money doing that. You know? Mm-hmm. Um I I just like the handle being a DJ, you know, I just like the term DJ being like something that I was doing. It was really cool. You know, it was something cool to tell people. It was, you know, because back then, DJs were not as accessible as they are now. You know, anybody can be a DJ now. People can decide that they want to be a DJ and they're, you know, 60 years old and go to the store and get some equipment and next thing you know, they got gigs. It wasn't (laughs) like that back in the day, Mm -hmm. you know, especially Mm -hmm. for a woman, especially for a black woman. There was not a lot. I started in the 90s. There was not a lot of DJs out here doing female DJs or women DJs or, you know, whatever whatever you like to say. It, it was just not a lot. It was mm-hmm. a big deal. And I felt really cool. And <laughs> I always, um, at the time, I, I had like a, a, you know, a slight, feeling of like, oh, I'm being a fraud or I don't feel completely like a DJ because I wasn't playing in the clubs. And so I was a party girl at that time too, you know, or AKA a club kid. So I was always out at the club when I wasn't working or when I wasn't at school. I actually didn't have time in the very early days to do any partying because I was working my ass off um, trying to stay in school and pay for life because um, I didn't want to go home. Um, I wanted to be a big girl, you know. But um, mm-hmm. I kept having, hearing this calling to be in the clubs to DJ. I knew I would never be satisfied until I got out of the circuit of doing weddings and proms and bar mitzvahs. And again, I will never, never not bow down to that experience I had because it really helped me with professionalism. I learned so much about equipment because I was my own roadie. I was my own everything, you know. Those women taught me how to set up my own equipment, how to – I had to carry my own equipment, um, how to be a professional, how to speak with clients, how to how to sell myself as a client – to clients, you know. Um, that's invaluable information that I wouldn't have got if I just started – dating some DJ dude and carrying his records and then eventually convince him to teach me and then I finally got gigs and then I'm DJing. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been an independent. I wouldn't have been a boss. I wouldn't have been professional. You know, like when I go to gigs now, I'm helping the sound man to set my stuff up because they don't even know what they're doing half the time, you know? And or they can't ever mm-hmm. tell me that something isn't right. If I ask for something to be a certain way, they can't ever tell me that it's accurate when I know it's you know, wrong. And you, know, and you know the business. Do you know what I mean? You know the business. Like, I you know, know the how business. To go, in, to go in and present yourself and go into it. I know people who say, oh, I want to be a DJ, and they go in. They don't know when it's supposed to be there. You know, they, they don't know how to negotiate for their fees or to value what they bring to mm-hmm. whatever it is for their fees. But you know the business. Yeah. Exactly. So I see exactly. that. I was looking on your webpage, and it says, Jura, the 
a creator and instructor of the Alchemy of DJing Learning Workshops. Is this to help? Did you decide to do that to help others know what you know? Again, so <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Um, mm-hmm. I, um, after I had moved to New York, I um, actually spent about six months in Puerto Rico with family um, um, and just to regroup and just to spend time and just to be away. And when I came back, I was broke. And you can't be broke in New York, you know. <laughs> and um, I had to hustle. And while I was away, Spirit told me, like, you should start teaching. And I started teaching. Um, what I did was I, just being a little geek myself, I was like, I want my class to be academic as well as music, as, you know, creative. Um because that's the way that I see it. That's the way that I see this art form. So I wrote out a syllabus, and I made it academic. Um, So my student, you know, and it developed over the past 10, 11 years, Um, and I must say it's phenomenal. I've taught this class, and and, uh, I've taught this workshop in universities. I've taught it overseas in Europe. I've I've taught it um, in uh, art institutions. I've taught it privately, um, and I've considered taking it online, but that's another conversation. But um, my point is Mm -hmm. that um, I wanted to teach people that this is not just about playing music. Like, it's a um, privilege, and... It's a service, and it is um, something that should be taken seriously. And mm-hmm. I've had a tremendous amount of success with it. Every time I feel like teaching it, people are super happy with it. I haven't heard, had any complaints, I will say. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy teaching other people, and I really enjoy teaching people to be responsible because I have a philosophy about music connecting with people, you know, as dancers, as mo- with movement, music and movement, you being on the, on the giving side of that, there's a responsibility um, for the space that that spirit takes up. You know, there's a lot of unspoken things that happen when people are dancing. And mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer in my work being a spiritual, um, a spiritual craft. You know, this is a spiritual thing for me. Like, I'm speaking to people subconscious when I'm dan- when I'm making them dance. I have to be responsible. You don't know what a song could trigger to someone's trauma or 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 you know, this their pain or their happiness or or their future. You don't know what it, what it could do. You know, and that is all related to the rhythm. That is all related to the equipment. That is all related to your knowledge of music. That is all related to uh, you understanding the order to play the, the songs in. You know, all of that mm-hmm. matters, and I teach that. That is the alchemy. That is basically taking a, a, a an empty room or a room of people and creating 
an experience. That is the alchemy, turning something into nothing. Well, turning nothing into something, rather, excuse me. Um, so that's why I refer to it as that. Well, remarkable. We're going to take our first break here, and, um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about your music. So we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I am talking with Remarkable. She's a DJ. She's an educator. I mean, you are, you know, many people, they think of, of Detroit, and they think of, like, oh, Motown. But, you know, Detroit is so much more than Motown. It has a strong gospel um, a background. It has a big techno footprint. And there have been DJs coming out of Detroit, including yourself, who have been on a world scene. Do you when you do you feel that when you go? I know you've been out of this country. Do you feel that part of being that pedigree of bringing it that that music, that techno, that whole history when you hit the scene? Do I feel like uh, I'm I'm having Detroit on my shoulders? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I feel. Um, there was a uh, um, uh, how do I say it? There's a there's a code of conduct um, with being from Detroit that I have to follow and I have to represent. You know, um, especially in the line of work that I I am in, um, there's so much reverence given to Detroit. Um, for its musical rich history, and you know, I've people I've gotten gigs because I'm from Detroit. To be honest, mm-hmm. you know, like that mm-hmm. is that is something to be said, and I take that very seriously, and I don't play around with that, and um, we don't play around in Detroit. You know, you mm-hmm. have to you have to bring it, and I absolutely carry Detroit on my back when I'm working. And I and I do my best to act as a, a a fantastic, remarkable resident, you know, <laughs> of, mm-hmm. of that legacy. So, now I had talked to um, Rebecca and I know Kelly Hay. They had written a book about the women of um, and hip hop in Detroit, and they were talking about how. Some of these people who are, you know, maybe people might not know them here, but like you were saying, 
outside of here, they, they're bringing it there. There's a lot of great women who are involved in DJing and hip-hopping come out in, coming out of Michigan, out of Detroit. Do you get back here often? Have you collaborated with them? And have many of them followed you to Brooklyn? Um, wow, I can't say that people have followed me to Brooklyn or mm-hmm. that I actually – I mean, there's a few that um, I see in Brooklyn when they come there to work. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh but I will say that I have been loved on and embraced by many of the the, the, the OGs, I would say, um, mm-hmm. particularly um, Stacey Hot Wax Hale, yeah. um, DJ Scent, and DJ Meek. Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. they, um, they give me a lot of love and respect, and um, I have been greatly influenced by them. Um, sure. Yeah, they were the first woman I saw DJ, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I will mm-hmm. always, always, always hold them high in my, in my mind and in my spirit, you know. And I have to show up for them, you know. I have to show up for, for what they, they've been showing up for, you know. They've been, mm-hmm. they've been killing it. All right, you know, and that's Years. the thing that's... that's the other thing that's so cool is that, you, you know, these are women. You know, these are women who you're saying, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm showing up for them. They've been doing it. And people need to recognize that, you know, and that they are oh, right yes. here. Mm-hmm. So what made you move from Detroit to Brooklyn? Um, what made me move? Well, at the time, I was doing a lot of stuff in Detroit. Um, again, I, have, I do have a background as a singer. Um, uh-huh. as well, and I was the lead singer of this James Brown cover band, um, for lack of a better word. We were more like a tribute <laughs> band, I would say. Um, it was called Soul Power Experience Unlimited, and we were doing quite well, actually. Um, getting a lot of popularity, um, article in a Detroit Free Press, and you know, people knew my name, and I didn't have to wait in any line to get in any club. And I just felt, you know, on top of the sky. Um, mm-hmm. And at the time, I was also um, uh, general manager of Toast, um, a breakfast and lunch oh. joint, which is a popular uh, restaurant in yeah, the yeah. Uh-huh. area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you've eaten at Toast before. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I, I used to work there. Um, so, you know, I'm at the hottest restaurant in town. I'm in the hottest band in town. I'm feeling like a superstar. And one day my band broke up out of the clear blue, and I felt devastated. And I couldn't quite get my footing back, you know, by that. It was like a mm-hmm. big crash. I was still DJing, but at the time, I hadn't gone into the clubs yet. Not really. You know, I was starting to, actually, but I was more like people knew me as a dancer. I'm also a dancer <laughs> amongst all the things that I do. So people knew me more as a dancer in the club. Um, 
and just be a club kid, you know, um, and as a singer. Um, but one day my friend took me to the side and was like, you've got to get out of here. Like, if you don't get out of here, you're going to be some lonely lounge singer at Baker's with a tattered sequin dress at 80 years old, and you wouldn't have lived your potential. you got to get out of here. And a friend of mine, dear friend of mine, had just moved to San Francisco maybe, uh, I don't know, uh, eight months, a year before that. And she was like, reach out to her and ask, can you come and stay with her? And I did. She said yes. (laughs) I packed all my things. I sold what I could. I quit my job. I said toodaloo to the city, and I moved to San Francisco sight unseen. I got out of there. I got out of Detroit like a bite out of hell. I didn't leave because I didn't like it. I Mm -hmm. left because... I needed to grow. And this is, you know, in the beginnings of the Internet world when I left. So, you know, the Internet has has made the world accessible to everyone, you know. Mm -hmm. All these DJs I thought were superstars that the world didn't know about when I was coming up are now, like, big stars in the DJ world. And I do attribute that to the Internet, a lot of that to the Internet, not just not to take away anything from their brilliance, but the Internet really helped change things for a lot of us. Um, and um, it, actually helped, it actually helped me. Social media was developing when I left. And so before I left, I um, got on MySpace and Friendster at the time, and I started uh, making friends with people on the, on the West Coast. And when I got to San Francisco, I already had friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I eventually moved to Oakland because I needed to see some more black folks. And um, I did my thing over there, and I really started DJing in the clubs when I was once I was there. I, I'm grateful that I moved to California because it actually made me be self-reliant, you know, mm-hmm. made me be self-reliant as an artist and, and just to create my own world, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I heard really, that from, ha- from other people who said the same thing, you know, but that's why, you know, they went, you know, they still have much love for, for home, but there was that part about going someplace else to to allow them to, explore, to do other things. And there are people like, you know, Stacey Hotwax, even uh, T. Miller, who, I know, you know, T. Miller, right? She's mm-hmm. a poet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where she, I had talked to her once and she was saying like, you know, like she liked to go all these other places, but you know, Detroit, you know, there's a part of her that came back. I have a question for you now. Like T. Miller is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stacy is here. But I've also talked to two people who are from, other places and and who have now settled here. Um, One is Rich Flowers, who actually he still has a theater company in Brooklyn. And the other one is Adrienne Marie Brown. And both of them Mm -hmm. have found a place where they're centered here in Detroit. Although Rich said the things that he liked about best about Brooklyn, he found 
that sense of community here in Detroit. What do you see in, in all of your travels that reminds you of where you grew up that made the foundation of who you are? Um, say that one more time because I, 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 I just okay. got caught on a lot of the things that you were saying. Yeah, well, there, there's some people who like who, who are from here and have traveled about mm-hmm. but come back here because this is where they're centered, you know. But then there are people who have been all over the place. And now, mm-hmm. like Rich Flowers, um, like he bought a house here, and he's looking at where he's going, but he still has his um, theater company in Brooklyn. Uh, Adrienne Marie Brown, um, she came here, and she said that a part of her activism that once she got involved, like with the box and how it changed the directory, trajectory of her life, and so she calls Detroit home. Well, you've been on both sides. You know, you've lived here and you've traveled about here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you see, what, what do you look for as you travel about and you look at all these places where you've settled and where you're home that touch that foundation of who you were, that, that birthed you, that grew you in a great deal of it in Detroit? Um, wow. Um, it's so funny you said Adrian, um, because we kind of were like ships in the night. She moved to Detroit mm-hmm. when, um, I, um, was about to leave Detroit. I mean, leave, uh, Oakland. She left Oakland. Mm-hmm. We left, I shouldn't say ships in the night. We, we actually both left at the same, around the same time. Um, but um, I think I stayed a little longer. That's what I mean. Anyway, she's a dear friend of mine, so that's why I spoke about her. But um, the, uh-huh. everywhere I go, I look for a uh, community, um, and I'm sure people always say that. There's something special about Detroit um, that you, I just haven't found anywhere else. I found it a little bit in Oakland. Um, and I do find it everywhere I go, but it's it's not the same. It's like I hold a certain standard with my relationships with people because of my experiences in Detroit, you know? Like Oakland, I found a lot of chosen family there, and I'm grateful for that. Um, so it was similar. When I got to New York, I did find a lot of chosen family, much actually that I met as a result of my time in the West Coast. But there's something about New York, um, something that I don't enjoy. It's the way that people have relationships, you know. New York can be a, a friendship killer, a dream killer, because there's so much movement that is required to be there. You know, people don't show up in the same way. One thing I always notice is that you can't be sick or pregnant or moving in New York, because mm. ain't nobody coming to help you, because mm. it's inconvenient. You know, I'm not to say, I'm that's not absolute, of course, um, but I bet you the people that uh, come and help you aren't from Detroit, aren't from New York. <laughs> you know what I mm-hmm. mean? Um, uh, I um, yeah, I I don't like that. I, I definitely have chosen family in New York. Um, but I, I can't help but like hold them at a certain by a certain standard, you know, because of the way that I came up. 
You know, people actually show up for you in, in Detroit. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. actually uh, will come to your event <laughs> in Detroit. You know what I mean? People are going to show up, and not everybody does that. So when I'm other places, I look for the pe- for that kind of vibe, for that kind of feeling. Who's going to show up for me? You know? Who is going to be there when I need them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With that being yeah. said, like, I'm sure we'll talk about it in a second, but the pandemic kind of actually brought more of that to light for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when I was reading one of the things that you sent me and you said, and you are, I would say that you are a Renaissance woman. You mean, I mean, you've already talked about how you, you dance, you sing, you know, you DJ, you know, the business side of it. You know, mm-hmm. that's a lot. That's a lot. I, do, do you still see yourself, like, constantly growing? And what areas do you see that you, you'd like to continue to grow in? Um, yeah, I, I love that. You, I, I feel honored to hear that. That's a lot, you know, because inside of me I'm always thinking that's not enough, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to develop more um, as a music producer. Um, I'm self-taught and I have so much to learn and um, so I would actually like to further ex- expound on, on those skills um, I uh, always want to be a better DJ you know mm-hmm. um, and I, I actually want to develop that joy and love and happiness um, being a default um, position that I'm in, the thing that made me fall in love with the craft, um, I, I, I would like it to always, I would like to be in practice of it always staying there because, um, you know, admittedly making this my career has sometimes stifled my creativity because especially when I'm in, in places like New York um, where you have to make money, you have to be almost like in constant hustle mode. I have found myself taking gigs that I never or maybe not would have taken because I needed to make my rent, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I've... You know, during this pandemic, I've had time to really evaluate my life. And I'm like, things have to shift. I have to go back to the love. I have to get back to the love. Or this will be, I'll be doing this in vain, you know, or or I'm not, you know, teaching. I can't be honest when I'm teaching. How can I teach people to be responsible? And I'm being irresponsible, you know. Even Mm -hmm. though I, I always try to pay attention to the work that I do, of course, I am paying attention and I'm kind of in like a default mode sometimes when I'm doing those kind of gigs. Like I I have to be more involved in it focus-wise. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I just want to be in a position where I can always be in creative mode. You know, you because are in Anybody that does something... Well, yeah, of uh-huh. course, but it, like I said, it, it becomes like autopilot sometimes when I'm doing those kind of things. 
when I'm doing mm-hmm. those like gigs, I don't, I would never no- normally say yes to just because I want to uh, pay my rent. I, I just need a, 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 another motivation, you know. Mm-hmm. So my, what I'm saying is, I just want to be, I want to develop my self practice to to be more to always keep my head in the game no matter what I'm doing. You know, earlier I don't want to be an autopilot. I want to be focused. Uh-huh. What do you say? When you had when you you had earlier talked about like how when you music and and also what you're doing and like you said to be in the moment and to do it. But when you're putting together your music, I mean, to me, there's also that part where, whether consciously or subconsciously, there's a thought process. I'm gonna tell you a, a true story. So I'm going through your stuff. And I'm on your webpage, and I was going through one of my COVID days, like, oh, God, we can't go do this. You know, it's spiking everything. And you have this, this uh, uh, mix called Internal Repair COVID-19 Remarkable. I started mm-hmm. listening to it. And there was something in the beat and the music and the what. I started dancing around, <laughs> you know. I started wow. to I started to feel, you know, that whatever was feeling some kind of way about everything that there was that I could repair it. You know, there's an internal repair. When you do something like that, you know, I know that that you probably didn't say, well, I'm going to sit down and I want people to listen to this and to think that. But as you put things together and in a mix, do you feel something as you're you're listening to it going like, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, this is, that that it was moving you in that direction. This, there was something this is what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm talking about. That is my true thing. That feeling, that is me one twenty thousand percent. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not always like that, and that it makes me feel shameful because I know that that is the true gift, the true art, the true offering is that like what you just described. Mm-hmm. I want to always be doing that. And perhaps I am always doing that, and, and I'm just super hard on myself, which is probably true, which is actually true. I'm very hard on myself, as most artists are. But, yes, it absolutely is a spiritual thing for me. Absolutely I feel it. I feel what you feel. How could I not? Mm-hmm. You know, I choose the songs because, you know, some people always ask me, what kind of music do you play? And I always respond and I say, I play music that doesn't ask permission to move you. Mm. That music didn't ask you permission. That music just had you coming out of whatever you was doing. Mm. It made you move without even asking. It was involuntary. That's the kind of music I'm playing because that's where spirit lives. And my the impetus behind my work is to make spirit thrive. It could be me cooking an egg. It could be me laughing at television. I want to feel spirit. I want to invoke spirit. I want people to feel that thing, that connective tissue to their higher self, you know? That's what I do. That's what I want to do. I mean, really, you know, know, and, and it is. It's important. I mean, music can do that. And the fact that you are able to, to pull it, you know, out of the out of the cosmos, you know, out of the universe, and that you're that conduit, you know, and then 
that it, it gets your feet moving. It gets, you know, it's all of these, these things, it's memories that are in your body at a cellular level that music excites and moves and makes you want to move. You know, I would even say, like, takes yes. you all the way back to the motherland, you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. This is what I teach my students. I'm like, yo, you don't know what this music is about to do to an individual. You have to be responsible because it is that deep. Mm-hmm. Because Ooh, it is I'm... that deep. It goes all the way to the cells. Absolutely. Cellular mm-hmm. memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you when you're just sitting around the house, you know. Do you ever hear something and then you, you build upon it or is there a, do you have a go-to artist that usually, you know, just sort of sparks something? Um, like kicks off create my creative mode, I guess? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you need something to, um, like, to like jumpstart you. <laughs> no, um, I, don't, I, don't, uh, I don't know how to do it that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, um, I kinda, I'm freestyling every day. Mm. I really am. I'm freestyling my life every day. I really don't. I don't know how I'm gonna feel. I don't know what's gonna happen. Um, you know, when I do sets, people always ask me, "Are you ready for your set? Or have you prepped for your <laughs> set? Or what are you gonna play tonight?" And all this stuff. I'm like, "Well, your guess is as good as mine." You know, um, because I don't know. Whatever spirit says, you know, like. I, you know, as I've grown professionally, um, I do select music that I want to play. Like, oh, wow, I love how this song feels. I'm going to play it tonight at my set. You know, a lot of times I don't end up playing that song. I end up playing something, just anything else from from my crates. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Like, you never know what people, you don't know who's going to be at the at the party. You have no idea. You don't know what people are going to be feeling. There's no way to predict that. Who has time to predict all that or, or sit and calculate all of that? You know, one thing that does help, you know, in, in that respect of, of prediction is I pay attention to the news. I pay attention to the, the vibration of the world, like what is the world doing, what is going on in the world, and I have to uh, – estimate or guess that people are feeling that also when they come in the room. So I, if I'm at a loss and I don't know what's going, like how to kick it off, I try to speak to that vibration, you know. Mm -hmm. We're all going Mm -hmm. through a pandemic. I need to play things that will speak to that if I'm playing a party tonight, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, the election's coming up. People are, are feeling confused and at a loss or, you know, just uncertain. I have to play to that. Um, so I do teach my students to look for that also. But um, mm-hmm. when I'm in my house, I don't even know what I'm about to listen to myself. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been listening to a lot of opera lately, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Just anything that brings me peace. Um, and again, like, that's the foundational music of my life. Um, really helped me in my developmental years. Um, and I have a huge, like, fond memory of the way that that music would make me feel. And um, 
So I've been playing it a lot lately. Just bobbing around the house, you know. Mm-hmm. And I also listen to my old mixes from like back in the day to keep myself inspired. Like, wow, I really took chances back then. Or, wow, what was I on? What kind of party? What was going on for that party? Or, oh, man, I made a mistake. I keep doing that. Blah, blah, blah. You know, that kind of thing. Hmm. So. Yeah. I, uh-huh. You know, it, it's interesting, you know, like you said, that you go back and you listen to it and you sort of see and you get inspired because often people, like, they forget, you know, where they were back when they first, you know, caught that bug, and then they get, and and you can get in a rut. You know, like you said, you know, you have to pay the rent, you have to do this, you have to do that. and But to mm-hmm. keep your, that, that spark, to be able to go back and listen to them, like, oh, I'm doing this, and, and to actually self-critique yourself. And you mm-hmm. said that you were your hardest critic, you know. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, if you're your hardest critic, Who's your biggest supporter? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> Who's my biggest supporter? Uh, <laughs> besides spirit, besides the ancestors that that walk with me, I, I um, I would say I'm my biggest supporter. I'm the one mm-hmm. buying this music and this equipment and and showing up every time, you know, and being a professional and, and, and taking this seriously. I'm my biggest supporter. I support it. I support mm-hmm. this art. I support myself, you know. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'm so hard on myself because I want to be the best I can be. You know, there's so much, you know, I, if there's so much room for improvement, I got to get there. Mm-hmm. I got to mm-hmm. go get it. Mm-hmm. Let me go get the improvement. So I am hard on myself for that reason. But you know, you know that your ancestors are with you, you know? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and they take over sometimes. And there ain't nothing I can say or do but let them. Mm-hmm. You know, they definitely have my back. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And I, and mm-hmm. I, something I, I, I tell people sometimes that I don't, I mean, I'll make the big thing is that I pray before I work. Mm, okay. You know, this is a spiritual practice for me. I pray before I do my gigs. I pray before I get in control of the dance floor because I don't, I, I don't know what's about to happen, mm-hmm. you know, and... And sometimes this music can, like I keep saying, it pulls things out of people. And I want to be, because I'm responsible for that, I have to be a, 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 I have to be a proper conduit, you know? I have to do it properly. I can't, I can't insert self. It has to be a spiritual thing for me. And, and you know, you'll talk to a million DJs, and not everybody will talk like this, but for me, that's what's up. You know. Mhm. So we're gonna. Okay, I want to take another quick break, and then we're gonna talk about um, DJing in the days of Corona. <laughs> I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs>
Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown with Remarkable. Um, question, how did you evolve into being remarkable? How did you that become your moniker? Um, to be honest, uh, back in the day I was DJing um, under the DJ name Rhea G. Uh, Rhea was my nickname when I was growing up and G is the first letter of my last name. Um, and it just kind of sounded cool in the 90s, you know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, as, I, as I got older um, and I started being in the clubs, I knew that was just a cor- it was corny, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was working at Toast. And this actually was before Toast, I think. But I was working somewhere, and um, I had a crush on this young man, and he um, wanted me to DJ at his party. He was having a loft party. And he asked me what my DJ name was. And my nickname is Riri. And I was like, and it was something I was toiling with a little bit. And I actually, oh, that was like during my brief stint as an MC. <laughs> I had a brief stint as a rapper. And my rapper name was Remarkable. And so... I hadn't really been out there in the world with that name. So I was told him, Remarkable is my DJ name. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's my name. I'm not <laughs> for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And it was. And it is. And it fits, mm-hmm. I think. I should have started with that, you know. Well, you know, you find, you know, you have to, you, you grow into Remarkable, you know. You have to, and, Absolutely. and, and you are. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I did have to grow into her. Mm-hmm. So as your your family, as they've watched you evolve, and, and and now you do, I mean, you are remarkable. I mean, really. When you stop and you think about all the things that you're doing as a woman, and I would put still you put in, and the young, a young woman in this age to come to you, travel, you pack up and move across the country, you know, just to, to, to grow. Right. I mean, you are remarkable, and I think that's a, as as saying to young women and girls, you know, you can do this, you know, take a chance and build on yourself. People who knew you back when you were really G, (laughs) what do they say Mm -hmm. now when they see you? Do they go like, wow, you know, you're doing it, or, you know, what are you going to do next? Um. Uh, what do people say? They just kind of, I appreciate the people that have known me forever because they just treat me regularly, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, they don't get caught up in, in fluff. I do have a friend that gets caught up in the fluff. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, I'm, I'm not like a household name. You know what I mean? Like, calm mm-hmm. down. I'm not Madonna and it's not Beyonce. 
you know, like relax. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, I'm like, you, you're my brother. Like we used to live, we used to share a wall. You know what I mean? We were roommates. Mm-hmm. Don't talk to me like I'm thinking I'm better than my, myself. Like you know me. You know what I mean? We shared a bathroom. You know me, mm-hmm. bro. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. uh, most people are excited, and most people that I came up with are thriving themselves in the careers that they came up with. You know, I always hung out with artists, and, and you know, it's been great to come up with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been, it's been fantastic. And so... Mm-hmm. You find that. it, you know... One of the things that I like about you and, you know, and reading about you and, and even just in this conversation is like you are defining what is, what's real for you. You know, like you said, you're not getting caught up in all, you know, people who are, you know, with the fluff. You're, you're being you. You're looking at it. You're constantly growing. You're looking at what next, you know, and you're doing these things. And there's a lot of artists who are doing that, who aren't going by, you know, I've talked to artists who said, you know, someone told me that if I would just write this way, it'd be great and I could make a bunch of money, but I wasn't being true to myself. The challenges are real. Okay. The challenges are real. Hey, I know. I mean, sometimes that paying the rent, that being able to live in that, those are real. What do you do to stay grounded in yourself? Um, I have a fantastic partner that, uh, keeps me on the ground. She actually, um, has helped me. I'm an Aquarius, so I'm always in the air. I'm just kind of flying around doing my thing. Like I told you, I freestyle every day. (laughs) Uh (laughs) But having a partner, um, and, and a family, basically, um, is my family unit um, has kept me on the ground, you know, meaning there is, you know, more to life than, than theory. <laughs> There's actually reality out here that I need to mm-hmm. deal with and spend more time with, and um, that has helped me. Um, my, my upbringing, my foundation, my mother's love and my mother's rearing, um, she always raised me to have dignity and, and a certain class about myself. I'm not talking economical class. I'm talking about class, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> style, finesse. And, and, you know, back in the day we called it being ladylike. Um, um, but I like to refer to it as being refined. And so um, that refinement keeps me grounded. Um and, and just my relationship with spirit, with the most high, with my ancestors, you know, with my goon, like, with my Luwa, like, that is important and that um, those are the things that keep me grounded. During this time of, uh, you know, where we all are stuck inside, have you found that it is it's a time for you to reset or refocus on things? You know, I mean, we've had time where, you know, we weren't seeing too, I mean, really now, even you're limited in how many people you see. Like you said, you're not at the club. I mean, there, there, there aren't big dance parties or, or clubs or things that you can go to. So a lot of it is, is you and your thoughts. Has, 
have you found it as a period of time to reset, to rethink about things? Oh, yeah, definitely. Anytime the world can stop and shut up. Mm-hmm. Like, absolutely. Um, and, it, you know, just as the virus has gone in waves, my feelings about being quarantined have gone in waves. You know, and since in the very beginning, I was grateful for a, a time to just be quiet and, you know, come together and cling to the things that are most important. And I love to see the way the world had to show up for that as well. And it was great. I got to see a lot of healing going on in families and um, in relationships and people reconciling with their mental health, you know, because we are running in the world like wild animals. And people had to stop and shut up. And that was really cool. And, you know, after DJ D-Nice had the gig that that just shook up the world and made it okay for us to be, to feel okay about performing online, um, I found a, a great amount of solace in that. You know, I appreciated taking away the noise of the club and being able to interact with folks that um, couldn't be touching me or knocking over a drink in my mixer or reaching over mm-hmm. me or coming up into coming up to me while I'm DJing and asking for a song or the sound guy telling me to turn it down or something, you know, any distractions. I had no distractions. All I had was the audience, and it was fantastic. It was controlled. It was great. And um, I loved – it was fun because it was new, you know, and it was, like, inspiring. And I actually was kind of in a little slump, you know, DJ slump, mm-hmm. not feeling like DJ, and that kind of sent something new for me um, into my life. And gave me an inspiration, and I enjoyed myself tremendously. Even you know, trying to figure out how to learning how to stream was inspiring. You know, wow, I just learned a new skill. You know, I learned how to code and do all this. You know, all these crazy things that had to do with with streaming. It was fantastic. And then uh, I, I kind of burned out on it. You know, and I had to reassess what was important. And I think I got burned out on it when people started, when it started becoming summer and people started going outside and people, it wasn't together, what is it, alone together anymore. (laughs) It -hmm. it, it wasn't. It was like, okay, well, I'm going to the park or I'm going to the beach or I'm going here, I'm doing that. And people just weren't showing up the same way. And it just kind of felt lonely. And that wasn't exciting. And then I started doing a few gigs, uh, social distance gigs at, at at event spaces that adhered to the rules. And, you know, they had all these special rules about how we're going to DJ. Um, it's pretty lax in Detroit compared to how it is in New York. Um, but, you know, I did that for a while, and then that became like, eh, this sucks. I want to see people, and I want to make them dance in front of me. I want us to have that connectivity in person, in real time, and this cyber world ain't cutting it. And I, and I kind of just got back into a slump. And recently I had a gig for this event I love doing called Soul in the Horn, 
Um, shout out to Natasha Diggs and Be Prosper. Um, and that actually pulled me out of my slump. And now I'm back and I'm excited to do streams. And because it is what it is, you know. I'm not excited about this. Who knows what's going to happen? I feel like they're playing mm-hmm. games with us. And until we get the answers, we got to do what we got to do. And yeah, even I mean, if it's not me making a ton of money, I have to mm-hmm. do the work. People mm-hmm. still need healing. People still need an outlet, you know. I did a surprise stream the other day, and I was so honored and excited how pleased people were that I did that. And I was mm-hmm. like, man, I gotta get out. I gotta do. I gotta get back into this. I gotta get back into this. People need it. Mm-hmm. Do you? You know? Yeah. Because I think so too. You know that people. You need it. Like I said, just like when I could listen to that one and I sat and I was there. I mean, no, I wasn't out in a bunch of people, but the vibe was there and I felt it. Um, how do you see moving forward? You know, we don't know. Like you're saying that once it gets cold, that they'll start to shut down and you can know people won't be uh, outside. How do you see it? I mean, what is the response? I know that you said that, you know, like people are glad to see you, but how do you pivot in that? I know you're doing classes. Like, do you see yourself doing that online? And how are you going to pivot in this uncertain world, world to keep doing what you love? Um, I have to uh, do other things, honestly. You know, I, I can't make the amount of money I was making before DJing, so I have to lean on my other my other streams of income. You know, I'm also a music producer. I have to pick up new clients. Um, also, I'm involved in real estate. I have to focus on that. Um, I'm learning the stocks. I got to get up on that. You know, like, I have to maneuver, mm-hmm. you know, and the club life is not going to be the club life as we knew it, know it, knew it. Um, I don't know if ever again, mm-hmm. you know, um, we had to take a hard look at what this is about to be like, you know, because they're not letting 500 people in no club until there's a vaccine or, or something like that, a vaccine that I don't want to take. You know, and then you hear a lot of people because they don't know if they'd want to go into a club of five hundred people. You know, exactly. Now people are scared. Like, what is the world mm-hmm. about to look like? We don't know. These festivals that I, you know, that I want to be performing at with thousands of people. Like, is that even going to be a thing <laughs> anymore? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. we don't know anything. So. My my position is just basically I got to figure another way in case this one doesn't work out. Like, also, like, it was a good run. <laughs> I had a great run. <laughs> I've been teaching almost 23 years. It's been a great run, you know. Um, and we're just going to figure out another way to do it. You know, has it been so bad for all these new people? Huh? You know, because, like, um, I know... Like last fall, there had been, I had talked to hmm, DJ Trouble, Michelle Johnson, Shooters in Kalamazoo, and they had planned to do a thing across the state with the DJs of Michigan. And, of course, all that fell through. But has there been conversation? I mean, is there like of many of you 
lady DJs, who are talking about, okay, how are we going to do this from now to, like, sort of think about, to take the lead in how you're going to continue to do this work or what the future of it will be? Um, to be honest, uh, I haven't, I, I know that some people are, are doing, you know, certain movements and coalitions are being formed and what have you. I haven't heard solid conversation about next moves yet. Um, mm-hmm. and again, I, I'm not certain that I'm interested in, mm-hmm. in being the problem solver. Mm-hmm. In that regard, you know, I don't know if I am. I'll be 100% honest. Um, mm-hmm. I w- want to be a supporter of it, but I don't think that's my calling to figure out what's next because I don't think we have all of the truth. So it's very hard for me to get jazzed about thinking of a solution when I don't even know what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. Is this political? Is this real? Is this spiritual? Like, what is happening? I don't even know. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not charging away at at, at trying to to find a solution. I don't even know what's happening. <laughs> you know, to be to be real. Um, but mm-hmm. I bet you a woman a woman will figure it out. Oh yeah. <laughs> my hope is in my hope lies in women. You know. Because we know how to, we make a way out of no, I mean, you know, it's like only a woman will know how to take, you know, a piece of from several years of wardrobes and come up with something brand new and to make a meal mm-hmm. out of whatever's in the cabinet. I mean, that's what we do, you know. We that's find what food. we do. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. Exactly. So. so, we talked a lot about okay. you, Jane. I know that you said you're a producer. I mean, you, you've got a lot. You've got things that you're thinking about doing. How mm-hmm. um, how can people, like I said, I went to your webpage and here was like a nice little set of music that I listen to all I do. <laughs> um, other than that, if people, um, what is, how do people get in touch with you? How do they find out about your website? Or if you're doing something virtually? Um, fantastic. Um, people should follow me on Instagram. First and foremost, there you can find a link to all the things that I'm doing. Instagram is kind of my home base. I, I appreciate the, the images mixed with words, but, you know, primarily focused on imagery that kind of gets mm-hmm. across to people. Um, and my Instagram handle is I am remarkable, and remarkable is spelled R-I-A, oh, excuse me, R-I-M-A-R-K-A-B-L-E. Um, so basically replace the E with an I and remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you will find me. All my all my social media handles is, are, are I am remarkable, including my website, IamRemarkable.com. Very easy to find. I ain't hard to find. <laughs> well, I think, I, I think you truly are remarkable. And I'm going to be Thank following you, your Instagram. I love you. Like I said, when I, whenever, from now on, whenever I have a, I need to hit a reset, I'm going to go to the internal repair COVID-19, you know, because that, that just got I me. I love that. So, so many people love oh, no. that one. I love it. Go to my uh, Instagram and you'll, you'll see a link on there, my link tree, and it has like all, where all my mixes are, where all my websites 
um, info is and or any event that I'm doing, I always list it in there as well. So you can uh, stay connected. Well, I, I intend to. I hope that this we figure out what's coming. I was in New York um, a couple weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, right before, oh, wow. you know, things spiked in Michigan, and now I guess there's all this stuff mm-hmm. before you can travel back and forth. But I hope that um, one day soon we'll be able to be in the same space together and talk music and, and laugh. Okay, one last question. Who would people be surprised is an artist whose music you like? Who would people be surprised who's an artist? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people would be surprised about anything from me. Um, <laughs> Uh, hmm. You know who I really like? I'm a huge fan of, of, of classic rock, actually. A lot of people would be surprised to know that. Um, mm-hmm. um, I love Creedence Clearwater Revival. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. People might, might be surprised to hear that. But, um, wow. Yeah. Hey, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. One no, day I love that music. It's soulful, you know. They they they, uh-huh, they uh-huh. took from the right folks, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. One um, day we'll have to sit and talk about music, you know, because, I mean, there are there are certain things that you'll hear a piece of it and um, you just remember and it, and it sparks a memory deep in your soul. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, our time here has come to an end. I want to thank you so much, Remarkable. Um, you will always be a Detroit girl. You know, we never let you go. <laughs> so you'll always be I'm never Detroit leaving, sister. you know. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, always, I'm, I'm always coming back. And uh, I, eventually I think I will have a home there. Um, I'm working on that, actually, as we speak. So I'm mm-hmm. there a lot. Yeah. I do stuff in Detroit. I'll be around. Thank you so well, much, let me Michelle. Know. Well, let me yeah, Let me know. I think, like I said, you are remarkable. I think that, you know, you did what you needed to do, and you're doing what you love. And I thank you for that. We need women like you. You change the world. Even when you don't want to be a change agent. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for telling our story. I appreciate you, sis. I want to thank our guests. DJ, vocalist, and producer, Maria Remarkable Garcia. A Detroit native currently living in Brooklyn, Remarkable, spelled R-I-M-A-R-K-A-B-L-E, is the creator of the Alchemy of DJing Learning Workshops, which focus on creatively engaging in social justice and empowering women and youth. You can experience her musical magic on Instagram and on her website, IamRemarkable.com. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can support the podcast by becoming a sponsor of Collections by Michelle Brown on Patreon.com. 
You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when we'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.